Yeah. I hope y'all been good. I know I'm on a little mid-season hiatus for a minute. But uh, I wanted to come in and do something special. This isn't going to be a full episode or anything like that. But um, I got the idea talking to a friend the other day. I said, man, I should do a story time. A little small, digestible, you know, 10-minute type segment. Something that you can handle on the, on the go. And, you know, something to get your little rocks off for a second. <laughs> and, um... It came up because I was talking to someone about a memory that I had and, you know, it related to filmmaking because the reason I'm taking a break from this show right now is, or this podcast, I should say, is because I'm focusing on filmmaking for the summer. I'm working on a documentary and there's a short film that I'm making right now and in the process of trying to get financed and, you know, I'm writing a lot of scripts and my development, my journey as a filmmaker has been so extensive and I'm going to do a full episode about that when I come back later on in August. Uh, but for the time being, I said, let me share this one story as I was telling it to my friend. I said, I have to, I have to share this story, you know. And uh, This time what we're going to do, we're going to talk about the time that I almost fought Spike Lee. <laughs> so relax, sit back, put on your seatbelts, and enjoy the ride, because... Uh, Yeah, this one's a wild one for sure. (laughs) So, they say never meet your heroes. And, um, you know, I never really believed in that type of shit. If I'm being completely honest about it, I have met a lot of my heroes, you know, uh, you know, I've come in contact with so many different celebrities along the way, uh, ones that I'm sure I'm forgetting about, that all these different people. But nothing quite fucked me up like meeting Spike Lee. <laughs> now, this is a story I usually don't tell um, because we have to be mindful and careful of being in the industry and what you say can always come back to haunt you and everything like that and people can blackball you and blase 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 I get that I'm just gonna call a spade a spade and call it what it is man Spike Lee Spike Lee was my favorite filmmaker growing up you know when I was watching things like Do the Right Thing or School Days or even his later ones like um what was that joint uh uh, inside man you know and, I mean Malcolm X especially a classic it's, it's just so well done you know I loved them it, it, it showed me that you can use your voice to do something different uh, something that goes against the masses against the norm technically speaking nobody can police you and I love that I said man he's making stuff that directly speaks to our community and it was crazy to me you know so I was riding for Spike Heavy now when I was in high school my goddaughter's mother one of my really close friends Asia uh, she is Carmelo Anthony's niece and she was going to the wedding because at the time we were in high school Melo and Lala were getting married and Melo had just gone from the Nuggets to the Knicks. 
So you everybody knows Spike Lee is a huge Knicks fan, like sits courtside, all that other type of shit. It's like a big thing. And season tickets forever. Always out there. He's talking shit to Jordan, talking shit to Reggie Miller. Back in the days, it's, it's his thing. Spike is a huge Knicks fan. So at the reception for the wedding, you know, my friend goes up to Spike while he's eating and, and she says, hey, uh, excuse me, Mr. Lee, I don't want to disturb you. I just wanted to say uh, you're an amazing filmmaker and, you know, my best friend is a filmmaker and he loves you and he would be so mad if I didn't just come and shake your hand and show my respects, whatever, you know, boom, boom, boom. He turns to her, a 16, maybe 17 year old at the most, has to be like 16 years old, turns to her and says, why the fuck are you talking to me while I'm eating? And she is livid. She is pissed. She's like, what the fuck? Like, she's so upset. She wants this nigga kicked out of the fucking wedding and everything else like that. You know, and granted, Asia's always looked like a little bit older than her age, but she's still a kid. Like, you know, she's she's a teenager. She's, she didn't look like no grown-ass woman necessarily. You know what I'm saying? And even still, it's just like, yo, this is the niece of the freaking groom. Like, are you crazy? But... You know, they pulled her out to the side and they talked to her and told her, look, man, I, I know you're pissed about this and I'm pissed too and we can get him to come and apologize. But you have to understand that if we kick him out, the headline isn't about Lala having the perfect wedding. It's Spike Lee gets kicked out of Melo and Lala's wedding. And because they're celebrities, so it's just an L. Like she had to take the L. She was salty about it, but she did what she did. And I think he came and apologized or whatever, but she was like, fuck that nigga. You know what I'm saying? And when she came back and told me all of this shit, I was like, man, you didn't approach him right. You didn't approach him right. I don't know. You you must have been jocking him or something. And she's like, Dante, he's an asshole. I'm like, nah, man. Like, you, that's my man. Fuck no. That, that's Spike. That's Spike. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. So let it go. Fast forward maybe two, three summers later, Spike Lee makes Red Hook Summer. Now, at this point, Spike hadn't made a movie in like a good minute. It's been a while. So Red Hook Summer was supposed to be like his comeback. It was independently financed, independently filmed. He was directing. He wrote it. It was only in a select few few theaters. So me and my other friend, who's also named Asia, so I call her Bite Size, uh, we said, man, we're going to go out to Silver Spring. We're going to go see this thing. Went to a little select theater, went to see Red Hook Summer. The movie was terrible. <laughs> and I'm not just making this up now. Like, I mean, it was it was actually boo-boo. Like, it was bad. And it did too. Like, not only was it bad, but like I was seeing things that, like, as a filmmaker, a very, very, very young filmmaker at that time, I must have, like, I was like, I, I could have caught that fix it like it was little editing lapses and jump cuts and like the sound wasn't synced right in certain places and I was noticing so a part of me was excited that I was recognizing things that was wrong with the movie as a filmmaker because it told me I was growing but at the same time I was like yo this movie is some shit I can't believe this not one of my proudest days as a Spike Lee fan but also I said you know what it's all good so I get on Twitter and I peep everybody's going on everybody's making fun of them they're like that movie was some shit I'm going in on all the trolls I'm arguing back and forth and back and forth this is early Twitter too so it moved a little different you know but 
arguing back and forth with people about like it wasn't as bad as this and that and i got in an argument with one person in particular and i guess i said okay let's let's list it out pros and cons red hook summer fuck it let's do it and i didn't realize as i was doing this thing that legitimately the cons kind of outweighed the pros <laughs> my list of cons was really long but my list of pros was like good quality pros like you know <laughs> but i ended off my rant my, my twitter rant with like you know i don't care what y'all talking about spike lee's still the greatest filmmaker ever to exist in life he's fire this and that y'all gonna stop sleeping on my man and basically like i can't wait till he makes the next film he's gonna shut y'all the fuck up so spike lee responds to me on twitter in all caps and only says negro please with exclamation points and blocks me so now you know back then the way twitter was set up you could see when someone replies to you as a part of your public feed or whatever like that so everybody who i was just going back and forth with is like ah look at you nigga you was sucking this nigga dick and now he look at all he carried you nigga they like wow spike lee responded and got you boy fuck out of here you trying to defend him and i'm sitting there looking like did that just happen i can't believe it like, what the fuck? but i'm also telling myself like nah man the internet not real man it's just the internet like he, he he didn't understand the context of what i was trying to say you know what i'm saying i was trying to defend him like it, it's cool i'm gonna meet spike one day and, and we're gonna laugh about this it's not gonna be a big deal that's strike two so fast forward about shit i don't know a couple years later i'm living in new york I was dating one of my exes at the time, one of my first like real loves, and living in Brooklyn, and you know, um, you know, living in New York, you 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 thugging it out. You don't really got your rent together, or anything like that, right? <laughs> you just be struggling to figure it out as you go. And um, I was in a situation this one month where I knew rent was due, and I just didn't have any type of budget. I was literally hopping turnstiles and you know, eating noodles and noodles type shit. <laughs> but I say all that to say, uh, one of my folks hit me and was like, hey man, it's 25th anniversary, do the right thing, block party going on in Fort Greene, man, you should come through, Spike, Spike told us to come, it's these guys, they call it Tribe NYC, they used to wear high top Gumby fades and 90s retro clothing and stuff, real like, they was popping on Tumblr back in the day, real heavy, like, and they, and they rapped, you know, I had this real retro style, so I guess Spike had ran into them on the street one day and told him he wanted to put him in a movie, they exchanged contact, whatever, boom, 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 so, you know, they hit me like, yeah, Spike has told us come through, man, we want to introduce you to Spike, so I'm like, shit, all right, bet, I, I'm like, I can't ride the train, can't afford to do that, so I'm gonna walk, but <laughs> I'm gonna go, you know what I'm saying, put it in my GPS, and as I'm walking over there, I look up, and I say, damn, like it's all these people in this long ass line like what the fuck is going on and i see spike sitting at the front he's signing autographs and shit and talking to people so i call up my folks i'm like hey yo where y'all at and they like oh uh you know we went back to queens real quick we ain't had no weed but we didn't want to buy weed so we already had some over there we just went to go back. i'm like nigga y'all on a unk mission if you know anything about new york you know Brooklyn to Queens, nigga, that's not no be right back. You gonna be back in two hours. I'm not waiting for y'all, niggas. You crazy. I just walked my ass all the way over here. Either way. So I'm like, all right. And I was about to do this. The other thing, I knew these guys because I was about to do a music video for them. 
it was two guys who were a part of the group and they wanted solo videos and you know it's about fifteen hundred dollars between the two of them at that time so i was like shit that's my rent right there let's do it you know and um so i was trying to keep a close connection with these guys and everything but i, I wasn't waiting no two hours for them to go get some weed from queens and come back that's some bullshit so i said i'm gonna hop in this line i'm gonna go meet them my damn self and uh stood in this line and i was nervous and you know about 40 minutes for the wait to get up to him uh standing in that line and in, in the pop-up shop they had a little you know, 40 acres and a mule pop-up shop thing going and you know it was like these little bullshit trinkets too like a t-shirt with like iron press on words that said like you know that's the truth roof and like little corny shit like that you know whatever the, all that type of stuff and um basically i grabbed a little book it was a little book it said 25th anniversary uh spike lee do the right thing it was like the last one too and it was only 25 bucks and it has the original screenplay from spike lee's do the right thing that he hand written hand wrote in a journal during school or whatever you know and um i, I just had to grasp it man I, i'm gonna get something for him to sign i gotta grab this man I didn't have my rent money but i said i'm gonna spend this 25 it's, it's a timeless opportunity you gotta do it so i'm starting to get up towards the front of the line you know it's been about 40 minutes like i say and lady flips my page i, I wanted him to sign the actual spine because i'm like you know that don't rip out or the you know the inside of the front cover the page could rip out but she puts it to a page i wanted to catch her but i was like oh, don't worry about it man i'm here for spikes so up he's sitting there he starts signing the thing I, I go up i'm like hey man how you doing uh you know my name is dante i'm a filmmaker I, I, I go to school right out here i'm a filmmaker because of you man like i appreciate everything you've done just being an example for the young folks like myself man and i don't really want nothing i just wanted to say thank you spike still looking down signing my page or whatever the case may be so I'm thinking maybe he didn't hear me. So I get a little loud. I say, well, you know, yeah, man. Um, Like I said, I, I didn't want anything. I, I just wanted to say thank you. And I really appreciate you for inspiring, you know, the young filmmakers like myself. I'm really doing this shit, man. I want to be like you one day, you know. So then he looks up at me. And when he looks up, he mugs on me like hard, like on some like. Like the the way that only a Brooklyn nigga can, like on some like, the fuck do you want, nigga? Like, are you, you holding up the line? You want a picture or what? You want like, move, nigga, go. Like you doing too much. And I completely just like was flabbergasted. I was so in shock that I took the book and I was walking away, and I was still talking to myself. And I felt my throat start to close up. And my eyes started to water and I said, oh, shit. Anybody who knows me, no, I, I can't cry. It's, it, it's weird. It's like for years now, I just haven't been able to cry. I don't know why. It's something about hypermasculinity or whatever, but it just took it out of me, stripped it away. But this day, I felt my eyes watering up and I said, oh, my God, I'm going to have to beat this nigga's ass. <laughs> Keep in mind, I was so much less mature back then. I, I was probably only like 22 at the time. I'm 30 now. And I did not necessarily know how to deal with conflict in a way that didn't equate to violence. Not for real, for real. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've, I've always been a thinker first, not a reactor. But like that type of level of disrespect 
and like you know being a dmv nigga and like new york niggas we don't really cl- we we kind of bump heads naturally anyway so i was like and i'm thinking like what am i about to do what am i about to do and i was just like my heart was beating fast i put the book down for a second i started pulling up my pants i started thinking i was like my man spuddy live right around the corner i can walk up slump the fuck out this nigga hit the corner go through the back alley hop the fence i'm right in my man's backyard they not gonna know where the fuck i've been security's about 20 30 feet away spike is over there smiling in some woman face all you know doing the most now he all vibrant and shit see this lady this good looking lady right i i was hot so it's the moment of truth put the book down start walking up i'm creeping up on the nigga got my fist clenched up and shit you know you start to black out it's like you know if, if you've been in that adrenaline of a fight and it's like i'm about to do this shit start creeping up on him shit like that and just as i'm like a couple feet away i hear out of nowhere hey dante 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 and it's like i snap i just woke up like i was blacked out and all of a sudden i was blinking i looked over it was the niggas I was supposed to do uh, videos for manager, the tribe niggas. I'm getting upset thinking about this shit all over again. Oh, my God. But uh, <laughs> The tribe NYC niggas, their manager, a dude named Mike, was over there. And he was like, you good? You good, bro? And I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at Spike. And Spike looking at me crazy, like, the fuck is you doing up on me like that? You know what I'm saying? And it just hit me like if I go forward with this shit right now, that's my rent money. I'm 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 kicked out because that's like they're trying to keep a relationship with Spike for this movie. I'm trying to keep a relationship with them to do this music video, but I'm the link between the two. I just I started stepping back. I picked up the book. He's like, you good? I was like, no, I got to get the fuck out of here. I got to get the fuck out of here right now, bro. Like right now. He was like, all right, I'm gonna call you. I was like, yeah, call me, bro. That was it. I was sick. I I I walked away. Head low. Can't believe like yo, my hero just disrespected the fuck out of me like that. Like I couldn't believe. Especially because like, you know, Spike, like the people made Spike, you know. They didn't want She's Gotta Have It to be in theaters. The people petitioned to keep that in theaters. They was trying to ban that shit, you know. He didn't have the money to finish Malcolm X. The people put the money in to help him finish Malcolm X because they saw the vision celebrities and the people the people made your entire career because you spoke for the people so I just felt like you don't get the opportunity to shit on the people like that I was the people and this was strike three for me you know and I just remember taking that long I hopped a turnstile I was on the train going home and I was just thinking to myself, like, yo, fuck Spike Lee, bruh. Fuck that nigga. And if I'm being completely honest, I think it's because I thought that I was going to move to New York, meet Spike Lee, and he was going to say, oh, my God, you're the most ambitious, greatest demeanor-having young black man I've ever met. And, of course, because you've learned from me the, the, the best, the GOAT. I want to give you a job, son. I'm going to start your film career, which is completely unrealistic. <laughs> but, you know, when you're coming from a non-film city like D.C. or Maryland, like you don't really know how it works. And um, 
that was the big part of having to establish my own identity. I said, y'all never meet your heroes. They always say never meet your heroes. I saw why in that moment, not because of the fact that, you know, they might be an asshole. I mean, yeah, that's one thing, but also because you have to create your own identity and decide who you want to be, what type of voice you want to have. And you can't have a voice trying to copy everything that your idol does because you're just going to be a clone of them. You have to find your own voice. You know, nobody's going to put you on. The one thing they teach us right now at USC in school is network on your plane. Don't try to reach up. So I'm at USC and, you know, I might have an opportunity to meet somebody like a Ryan Coogler, but I'm not going to go crazy and reaching up like, come on, man, put me on, put me on, put me on, put me like Ryan Coogler got to be Ryan Coogler because he did everything with his classmates who were on his same level from the level that he was in school all the way until he graduated and stayed with those same folks. And that goes the same for anybody. You got to walk your path. And uh, with that in mind, you know, right now, like I said, I'm working on a documentary that I'm directing that's in D.C. about a player who wasn't uh, drafted. You know what I'm saying? And he broke all types of crazy college records and, you know, eight touchdowns in one game and got them twelve hundred yards over the course of like three games. Like crazy, ridiculous numbers and didn't get drafted because he's five, seven. The underdog story, you know. So many of the things that I like to talk about and make stories about and write about are the underdog stories. And I'm learning that that's my voice, you know, and. uh, I say all that to say, man, I I really love this film shit. If you've been rocking with me this long and supporting me through this podcast, I would love if you took just one second to check out my Indiegogo campaign. It's linked to my Instagram. You know, my Instagram is Dante J. Bailey. Uh, and, um, if you click the link in my bio, you'll see I'm doing a fundraiser. It might be a little extravagant to some, but I I really think I can reach it. We're trying to raise $12,333 to do this film in late summer of 2021. That's this summer. In the first day, we got almost a thousand dollars in donations. And the film is about a young man who is released from jail after 17 years. He went in when he was 18, 2002. He gets released in 2019. And just seeing how much the world has changed around him in 17 years. That first day out, recognizing he doesn't have the connections he thought he had to family and friends and loved ones. And technology has changed and neighborhoods look different. And everybody's in their phones, you know, and when he went in, there wasn't even social media, let alone a cell phone that people usually had that was affordable like that. You know, maybe the track phones just came out. It was a whole new world. You know, he could barely even catch a cab. And seeing how that experience plays a role into his development and growth at 35, you know, you went in at 18, 35, your life is far from over. You're a young man, but there's so much that goes into the reentry process. They call it reentry into society. And uh, I I think it's a really beautiful film. It's a script, an original script that I wrote. And uh, I've gotten beautiful, beautiful feedback about it to the point where we're ready to shoot. And uh, the only thing we're missing is those monies to be able to, you know, finance the production, to feed our crew, to do travel, to be able to make sure that we have the proper lighting and equipment and to make sure that we can get permits to do this thing. 
It all costs money if we want to do it the right way. But I want to do this thing the right way, the way that I've learned to over the course of the past 11 to 12 years. And I just want to use my voice authentically to make a film that helps formerly incarcerated people to feel seen, identify with, and to feel like, you know, they have some representation in media. Hopefully these can be things that can reach out to lawmakers and, you know, uh, lobbyists and people who can make some real change in the private industrialized prison system that benefits from us like slavery did back in the day, you know. So please, if you have it in your heart, five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, hundred dollars. If you feel that ambitious shit, five hundred dollars, whatever. I we need it man we really trying to make this film and i appreciate everybody who supports this podcast everybody who supports me as an artist and uh i'll catch y'all when we come back maybe i'll do another short story time or something like that but um as far as for now can they make any promises you know but this is back in the day appreciate y'all man